0: Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined by Jeffrey Johnson. He is the Senior Vice President for Human Capital Resource Management at Teleperformance. So what does that mean? That means he is responsible for Teleperformance's 55,000 staff that they have here in the Philippines. The company globally employs over 400,000 people. So they really know how to employ, manage and keep large groups of people engaged and happy and safe at work. It's a really great conversation with Jeffrey and of course also exploring his own journey. He started teleperformance in the Philippines when there were just 170 staff. And he has seen that grow now to 55,000 people. So again, an incredible journey for Jeffrey and, of course, the Philippines as well. A good conversation, and I'm sure you will enjoy and learn lots. I certainly did. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to OutsourceAccelerator.com slash podcast. <laughs> about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. I'm dying to ask you, what is it like managing the welfare of 55,000 employees in the Philippines and across the broader group, 400,000 people globally?
1: Well, Derek, thank you again for having me on. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation. You know, anytime you're in a role where you have responsibility for other people, everyone knows that uh, that mantle of leadership can sometimes be daunting. Um, but whenever you have an amazing team um, that all is working towards the same vision, it truly helps make that process so much more smooth. And uh, from my perspective, we have just such an amazing team that's so passionate, so driven, really focused on delivering for our clients and for our customers. And um, because of that, it kind of uh, it lessens that uh, uh, you know sense of, sense of obligation. And it makes it more like something that you actually like doing. And I'm sure many leaders listening to this podcast today would agree that uh, they have similar experiences. When you have an amazing team, it helps make that process so much better. But it's also humbling knowing that uh, over 55,000 people in the Philippines trust teleperformance. uh, And as you mentioned, over 400,000 people globally.
0: It's an incredible number, isn't it? And I I think it emphasizes the fact that outsourcing is such a people business, isn't it? You know, every business says it's it's all about the people, but really, outsourcing is fundamentally about the people that are doing the work, and um, then you've got to ensure that you're looking after them and that they're happy and they're productive. Um, what is it like, kind of even just beginning to manage fifty-five thousand people? You must have incredible systems in place.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, in addition to having a large workforce, we also have a fairly large uh, human resources team and, and people management team, uh, and that helps. Um, so sometimes when I uh, share with people that I have over 3,000 people on just my team, just managing the people operations of the, of the organization, that can sometimes be surprising because I'm sure, uh, you know, for example, Teleperformance, when we started 26 years ago in the Philippines, uh, with you know only, only 100 in, employees, uh, that felt big at that time. Uh, and so as we grow, as the organization uh, adds more capabilities, um, it's also important that our support functions grow as well. Um, I've always been a big believer in um, human resources or human capital or whatever the organization would like to call it uh, as something that is, is not just important but to your point, Derek, it has to be at the center of every outsourcing company's strategy. Um, it's not just something that you talk about putting people first. It is make or break for the organization. So you could have the best client strategy and the best technology. But if you miss out on that people pillar, um, there is absolutely no way to be successful. Um, no matter how, how much you try, no matter how talented your people are, that the people strategy has to be at the center of, of, of the organization. And so uh, I'm really proud that we've built that culture at Teleperformance, both in the Philippines and all across the globe, you know, in over 70 countries. And, uh, and that's something that takes a lot of work. Uh, it doesn't come easily. Um, and it also, as soon as you'll get one thing fixed, you'll have another problem somewhere else. And so I always remind my team and, and remind myself, um, our job is about fixing problems and about addressing issues. And sometimes that can seem tiring over time, especially when you get decades into doing it, right? Uh, but at the same time, as soon as you make peace with the fact that there is no perfect organization, there is no organization where people can just sit back and relax. As soon as you do that, the competition will come in or you're gonna have changes in, in, in your industry and you and you will no longer be able to relax. And so as soon as you do that, um, that's when the, the beginning of the end. And so. I always remind people this is our job and this is what we do to to excel and when we make peace with that we d- truly do excel.
0: It is it's it's incredible to think that you know a, a big part of your job must be of you know of course designing and implementing systems but a lot of it as you say would be kind of putting out fires and reacting. If you you know if you look at a sample size of 400,000 people or 55,000 people in the Philippines alone you know that that is a small city and in any yeah. small city on any given day there are pretty crazy things happening and you know in a city of course you have a police force you have security and um, you know it it must be an incredible feat just to keep everything on the straight and narrow would you you know, with businesses, generally, you you spoke to sort of the essence of of a business, businesses generally work on um, scale economy. And as they get bigger, they get more efficient. But do you see with the human capital aspect of businesses? Is it easier as you get bigger? Is the next 100,000 people easier? Or does it become more? Does it add to the sort of conundrum that you face?
1: That's a great question, actually. Um, I think from my from my own personal experience, um, again, when I started uh, with teleperformance in the Philippines, we had 175 employees. And I feel like the challenges then were harder. Um, and so back to your question. Yeah, I think that as you get larger, and as you start chalking up more and more experience, um, you've been there, you've done that, and you're able to leverage on that experience. I feel that especially as you build a really strong team, you know, I have some members of, of my team, which have been with our organization for two decades. Um, and uh, that really helps because your team and you are on the same page. And when these problems come up, which are inevitable, um, you'll easily be able to leverage upon past experience and, and be able to bring in some some expertise from, from those experiences and be able to address them. But you also bring up a very important part, Derek, which is even if our jobs are to fix problems, we also want to make sure that we're not losing sight of what's causing the problems in the first place. And so doing a lot of root cause analysis, understanding the journey mapping, um, and being able to address uh, issues before they become a problem obviously is, is critical. Um, and I don't downplay that component, but I also think that uh, I think that no matter how much you great, d- develop a great strategy and have the right systems in place, to your point, it's just it's the nature of the beast. You have a very large operation, and you're going to have uh, issues that come up. Uh, for example, at any given time, we're normally ramping on at least uh, seven or eight programs. Sometimes it's 20 programs at the exact same time. And, you know, I remember back when we were just a few thousand people, if we were doing one big ramp, it felt overwhelming. Uh, and today, sometimes we're doing 20 at the same time.
0: It's incredible, isn't it? So what is your journey with teleperformance, Jeffrey? You, you say you, you started when there were just 173 people in the Philippines.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I originally came to the Philippines as a trainer um, in order to help uh, one of our biggest ramping programs, offshore programs at the time. And uh, I originally planned to just stay a few weeks, um, and then extended to a few months. And uh, lo and behold, eighteen years later, I'm still here and still loving it. And uh, teleperformance continues to amaze me. Uh, the people within our organization truly make it uh, something that uh, I, I've never looked uh, tur- looked at uh, any organization the way that I look at teleperformance. It's, it's really amazing, and it's been um, full of challenges and also huge successes and. And I've been able to do so many different jobs in the organization um, from training and into operations and, um, you know, really HR was something that I just chanced upon as I started focusing on leadership development. Um, And so that's why things like this podcast are something that I'm very, uh, you know, passionate about because uh, I love learning. Uh, Lifelong learning is a big part of who I am. And so when I hear about uh, these types of uh, offerings that can help facilitate that learning uh, in our industry. I'm really passionate about it. And congratulations to you and the team for for setting this up.
0: Yeah, no, of course. Thank you. Thank you. And it, it's amazing to think that, you know, 18 years ago, you had 170 people. And now you're overseeing the, you know, again, the welfare, the, 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 the health and happiness and productivity of 55,000 people, and you have 3,000 people alone just to oversee and manage that, the, the layering of systems is incredible, isn't it? On day one, you would have had virtually nothing. And now you have incredible sort of layer upon layer of systems and processes that were just built over the years in response to certain activities. Do you think um, you know? Have you been uh, headhunted from other organizations that want to scale quickly? Like um, to to have that sort of, I suppose, structural awareness of how all of that clicks together is pretty powerful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think any person that has been on that journey in this industry, in the Philippines or India or any of these growth markets, um, all of these people bring some experience that somebody from outside of the industry. Um, while they may have the best education and they may have uh, strong experience in, in certain industries, um, it's just something that is unique about our industry that really, that really uh, is both challenging and rewarding and moves so quickly and so fast uh, that uh, it does require uh, uh, a person with a very unique uh, experience and, and a unique approach um, to, to growth and to development and to people. Um, and yeah, so I think that, uh, I've always said that in our industry, uh, everybody is competitive. So that's why it's so important that in your organization, you create a culture where people actually want to stay, because if you only focus on money or benefits, or if you only focus on growth, there's going to be times where both of those things have a peak or a valley. They, they slow down or they, they accelerate, um, and you can't constantly just, um, you can't constantly just respond to what's happening in the market. You have to create an environment within your company where people actually want to stay. And that's easier said than done. I'm sure Derek, you know, and and all of your listeners know that, uh, sometimes you'll, you'll feel overwhelmed by that. And sometimes you'll feel like we have so much going on. We have so many things to do. How can I focus on culture and how can I focus on the soft things like lifelong learning or, uh, you know, uh, creating an environment where people feel comfortable talking, like doing things like town halls and, and listening sessions and uh, sentiment surveys. Uh, yet it's kind of a paradox because it's, it's absolutely critical for you to stay where you're at and, and continue growing. And so uh, I think that uh, from my perspective, as you build on in the systems and you become more complex as an organization, you, there are some parts of the organization where it makes it more difficult to be agile. But that's why it's even more important that you are agile and that you've got to drive that culture and you've got to drive those systems to think, before I add another layer, how am I going to remove a layer? Or if I'm going to add this complexity, how can I make it more simple somewhere else? And mm-hmm. uh, and we're kind of on that journey as an organization.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Because, you know, you see as systems grow, they kind of add complexity, don't they? And everything is sort of seems to be. Um, kind of underwritten or protected by lawyers to make sure they're covering all of these downsides and then everything becomes incredibly bureaucratic but a- an organization actually also needs to remain nimble and uh, user friendly so it's it's always that that balance how jeffrey how have you seen the industry evolve over your 18 years from a from an hr perspective in the Philippines is it easier to recruit or is there now more competition, you know, are candidates better or, you know, how, you know, how, how, have you seen it evolve over the 18 years?
1: Well, I remember, uh, at some point when,
0: when CCAP
1: was first established, uh, and they were celebrating the first 100,000 people, uh, in the industry. And now it's, you know, up over, uh, one and a half million and it's growing even further. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I do think the industry has become far more competitive. And so um, attracting talent and getting that talent to stay um, is definitely a lot more difficult. But that being said, the country has also grown a lot. Um, It used to be we had to convince people uh, about some of the basics of working in a BPO. Um, But now that so many people have family members or friends that work in, in, in a BPO company, A lot of the stigma uh, has lessened over time, not completely, um, but there has been some education, I think, of the general population, and that has also helped that effort. Um, And so now we will see people coming freshly out of uh, senior high school or even out of college. Um, And where in the past there may have been some stigma about joining this industry because it wasn't directly aligned to the degree in which you were going uh, for, but uh, now we see that people um, are far more interested in, in a role in this. They see that their aunt or uncle uh, had a very successful career and was able to, to grow um, you know, their family and be able to provide uh, amazing things for their family through this industry. And they're able to leverage on that experience. And, and that's helped a lot. Um, also, I think the efforts of, of all the different administrations um, that have worked Um, over the years to try to think, how can we help support the industry? Uh, We've always had really amazing advocates in in all the, I think four administrations that we've had in the last uh, 26, four or five administrations in the last 26 years. Um, It's really nice to be able to leverage on those uh, individuals. Uh, They're advocates for the industry. They understand how this industry has been one of the most important factors to moving the Philippines up on the socioeconomic ladder. Um, We know that we're within just a few years of becoming a middle-income country, um, and a lot of that is driven by the investments coming from the BPO industry.
0: Mm, It offers incredible economic opportunity, doesn't it? And it's really giving these emerging economies opportunity to tap into the global economy by proxy you know by by going to the local teleperformance office and get a job there that they're, they're really sort of um, servicing the global economy aren't they which is a pretty uh, um, incredible opportunity well, i i recently spoke to the fiji outsourcing association and it was a little bit as you uh sort of um, mentioned before they uh, pre covid they had three thousand staff after COVID, now they have jumped up to eight thousand staff uh, gl- within the within the entire country, uh, and and the government has realised this is just such an incredible opportunity for the Fiji nation. It's only a country of a million people, uh, and now they're doubling down on outsourcing, and they're projecting twenty five thousand people by twenty twenty five. It's you know um, you know it's just a fraction, of course, of the Philippines, and it's a small country country. But uh, it, it it's just incredible that it's almost spreading like wildfire across uh, wildfire across the globe. Now, isn't it this, this opportunity to join the global economy?
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and every single country, um, I've been lucky enough to visit 26 countries with where teleperformance operates. And every country I've been to, um, I've seen a similar story, where An industry almost didn't exist, and then through the efforts of both government and through trailblazer organizations who come in and take a risk, um, they're able to build up an amazing story that not only brings along the the team members who are 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 part of these organizations, but even more importantly, they change the lives of everybody uh, in these countries. And, And to your point, oftentimes it it can start in a developing country like the Philippines or Fiji or uh, Guyana, um, or India, um, and they take these, these, uh, amazing opportunities and, and work together, uh, to see, uh, to see huge improvements in society and, and, uh, economic opportunities, um, and be part of a, a global supply chain that, uh, really does make a difference every single day, um, and it, we're, at Teleperformance, we're really excited about that because we're obviously part of that journey, um, and we see that as something that uh, makes our industry sustainable for the future.
0: One of the one of the common—I wasn't going to bring this up, but it, it, one of the common throwaway criticisms of outsourcing is that it is unethical and it's slave labor and people are mistreated. Yet you know, you are saying that it provides incredible opportunities for these people and it, and it can transform lives. What is your, you know, and you are responsible for the for the sort of happiness and welfare of these tens of thousands of staff. And what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, what do you have a canned response for when people uh, come up with that?
1: Well, I can understand how a person, um, sometimes thousands of miles away, may not understand some cultural norms, or maybe maybe doesn't understand um, ways of living, um, and they apply certain standards um, to countries thousands of miles away. And oftentimes that may be done in good intention, but it has a negative impact. Um, I've always, and I think everybody in this industry knows, um, that our industry generally operates at a much higher standard Uh, than many local industries and that actually sets a new bar within countries so but because we're a multinational type industry where we service clients that are generally well-known brands all across the world sometimes that can become a bit of a target Um, and you you can understand how people can conflate those things and so I always try to approach it from a position of empathy from the person creating that criticism um, sometimes it can hurt um, but it is once you start educating um, and I've oftentimes invited people for example report foreign reporters or um, I- individuals from labor unions etc I've always said come come and visit us come and talk to our people uh, or if you'd like I can provide some you know uh, opportunities for you to be able to do that because I think you'll be surprised um, once you start talking to our team members when you start, seeing the work environments in which they work in and yeah of course the the outsourcing industry isn't easy well there's a lot of industries that aren't easy right but um but what we do is we thrive within the industry and we set a new bar and one thing that i've always set for myself is you know if if there's a certain sentiment amongst a minority of people that maybe you know this is unethical or whatever to use your word um, then maybe we should, uh, maybe we should show them how we can set the highest bar and truly be a great place to work. And, and when you do that, you're going to be able to show that while that opinion is legitimate, we won't dispute your opinion. Uh, we'll show you another side to that story that I think is going to surprise most people.
0: Yeah, that's, no, uh, it's, it's important to, to sort of push that message, I think, because this this. Sort of, it's so easy to have resistance to an industry that is doing so much good in the world.
1: Mm, yeah,
0: and um, your footprint was probably very similar to to many in terms that you started in Metro Manila, where most of the population is, and as teleperformance and the industry evolved, it moved towards the provinces um, and into sort of secondary and tertiary cities. How? how has teleperformance found that migration out into the provinces of the Philippines?
1: I mean, it's been one of the things that we are absolutely most passionate about because while we love to see our huge presence in Metro Manila and Metro Cebu, uh, we also see what a difference it can make when we support, uh, for example, the digital cities 2025 program. Um, We've, our entire team just loves the success stories we see when we're able to uh, reach into certain provinces which never had, uh, you know, uh, experience with the outsourcing industry. Um, and there's a lot of talent. I mean, you know, let's face it. While Metro Manila and Cebu and even other large cities like Davao and Iloilo, Ilo, Ilo um, these cities get a lot of attention, but they're still the minority of the people. Um, And so there's still millions of people um, within these smaller tier cities um, that uh, if our industry can work to, first of all, create awareness um, and then attract that talent and build the infrastructure to support it, um, it's like a blue ocean, truly. And so teleperformance has um, very aggressively taken that approach um, to grow into our provincial locations. And today... We've even introduced new solutions like Cloud Campus, uh, which is our name for our remote working uh, workforce. And today we have thousands of team members which uh, work uh, completely from home uh, or remotely, um, but they are supported by certain hubs in different cities where they can get support and camaraderie and things like that if they'd like it. Um, But where um, they really can work from home and, and be able to realize all the benefits of that. So we're very bullish on that. We see cloud campus and uh, remote work as, as as something critical to the to development of uh, of these tier two and tier three cities. And uh, we think, we think it's the future of the Philippines outsourcing industry. Truly.
0: It's incredible for the industry, isn't it? You know, would you have considered that as, as viable or an option pre-COVID or is it really, you know, from the, the COVID start that you moved into this mindset?
1: That's a great question, Derek. I think it's a, it's a two-pronged answer. If I had thought, could we build large contact centers in Tier 2 or Tier 3 cities? Um, yes, because we did that. Um, you know, we went into some cities before most or any competition was in those cities like Bacolod and Kaga and De Oro. And, um, you know, we we had experience doing, um, that type of work, but I really thought of that as a traditional contact center, you know, where you have a physical building and you have all the generators and the UPS and you're in a, normally in a well-known, you know, landlord like SM or Ayala or something like that. And, uh, And so we had a lot of success with that. So if you had asked me pre-pandemic if I had thought that that would be the future, yeah, I would have totally agreed. But I think the pandemic accelerated two things. First of all, it made it even more important that you were decentralized, um, that you didn't have all your eggs in the Manila Cebu basket. We saw that, um, you know, depending on how the pandemic moved, some cities were more impacted than others. Sometimes it didn't all for example, lockdowns and things like that didn't, didn't evenly spread, right? And so uh, being in a large city could sometimes become a liability. Uh, also, it had some strengths, but uh, it, it really went both ways. But one thing that really surprised both me and I think surprised a lot of industry players was that we were lucky that there was a push from our major telco partners pre-pandemic in order to build up the infrastructure you know we saw this all over the news and we saw that uh, there was a lot of pressure on telco companies with the introduction of some more competition Uh, they were working on better infrastructure making sure that connectivity and also bandwidth was increased that actually happened before the pandemic and it was critical that it did because while nobody would have known that that was coming if that infrastructure had not already been in place and if the major players like Globe and Smart and and Converge and them had not been building up that capability, um, I don't think this industry could have supported the amount of, of remote work that it did. But everybody was pleasantly surprised with just how consistent and reliable uh, both the internet and the infrastructure was. And uh, today, for example, at Teleperformance, we use Um, technology to be able to measure things like uh, stability and bandwidth and and uh, overall connectivity and we're very impressed and that's why we continue investing millions of 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 dollars of resources to grow our cloud campus in the philippines because it's working and not only is it working it's working really well
0: it's incredible isn't it and as you said it's through the support of the administration and they've really had an agenda to develop these as they call them next wave cities they want to get Mm -hmm. the economic um, prosperity out into the provinces and again the outsourcing industry is one of the best ways to sort of to to spread that economic prosperity so it's incredible to see that it is happening and again you know COVID was a terrible thing but maybe the silver lining is that a lot of people really jumped into action and um, initiated these remote work uh, initiatives uh, far quicker than they they would have otherwise. Agree, agree. And where do you see the the future? I I sort of fear for cities. If you know, Tally Performance, one of the you must be one of the largest employers in the world, is is sort of moving towards a remote based strategy. Do do you fear for city centres and and office blocks? Do you think that the future twenty years from now will be largely remote?
1: Well, it's a good question. Um, I I think if anybody had a crystal ball and could tell us what that future looked like, uh, I'm sure they would become very rich. Um, That being said, I do think that where cities are going to play a critical role is when our industry continues evolving and we start moving into more high value um, types of services. And, you know, with our over 55,000 team members in the Philippines. We do everything from basic contact center work to high value um, knowledge services and you know types of services that you wouldn't normally see in a, in a BPO player. Um, and, the, and we're across that spectrum. And so there are a lot of clients w- which still will feel more comfortable being where that talent is. And sometimes talent on the more high end is going to be more concentrated in cities um, where uh, there's more experience, work, actual work experience, and sometimes experience through um, higher-end educational institutions, etc. So I think there's still going to be a place, um, and I don't think that cities are going to be ghost towns. Um, I do feel, though, that there will be a big change and that we will start seeing as, um, you know, there's more competition from abroad, like you mentioned earlier, I think it's a very going to be very important that the Philippines adapts to that, and we, that's why we've taken a very strong approach to uh, growing tier two and tier three cities, um, because we see that as an opportunity to um, bring the type of work that can be supported in those industries and grow work within major metros like Manila and Cebu. Um, to be more of the value-added services, so that's kind of how I see it going. But, um, but who knows? You know, uh, there's there's so many things in the future that we really are not sure of. Um, you know, just ten years ago, a lot of people were saying that the industry wouldn't exist at all because of bots would replace it within d- within just a few years, and we know that that's completely inaccurate. Um, we know that. Bots add value today, and they oftentimes make the customer experience much better, but there's still a place for that human touch, and uh, that place is super critical, and, and a place like the Philippines is is even more important for that because we know how much people care about the, the actual customer experience.
0: The move to remote must be a bit of a blessing for the outsourcing industry because obviously having to set up and build offices and the, all the infrastructure associated with that is it's really heavy, isn't it? And it's a huge commitment. And it turns well. It, it makes a company very uh, static. Whereas, you know, if you don't have as much infrastructure, you can be a lot more agile and responsive as a as a company. As, does that factor in a lot to your to you know to the sort of broader decision making process?
1: I yes, it absolutely does. I mean, we. We work with our clients, and you know, as you know, we service some of the world's biggest organizations, and also some medium-sized and even small organizations. And so, we work with our clients to understand what is their appetite. So, you know, how fast do they want to grow? Um, what are the types of skill sets that they're looking for? What's the technology that they use? Um, and you know, as you mentioned, as a, as organizations become larger, they become more complex, and so we've we've um, created infrastructure that can support any of those needs. So we have capacity to be able to um, build out new sites. And in fact, we are one of the few companies in our industry that opened a new site during the pandemic. Um, and we did that right here in, in, in Cavite um, because we knew that there would still be a place for people to be working on site. Um, and that's probably because, um, you know, you want to be really diversified, you want you want your clients to be from all different types of industries. And uh, we've, we've been very specific on that. And so some industries are definitely going to be more keen on having people working physically on site. For example, the banking and financial industry um, oftentimes the content moderation, um, those are types of work that oftentimes clients will, will want to see uh, employees working physically on site for, for a multitude of reasons. Whereas some others are, perfectly happy uh, with, uh, with supporting remote work. And so um, it, it's, it's really a mixed bag, um, but I see that that's actually a huge opportunity to your point, Derek. It's a huge opportunity for us because we can fill all of our sites and we can also have thousands of people working remotely um, and, and both have value uh, to our organization.
0: Over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of remote work gurus pop up. You know, it's it's a, it's completely new to the business world to have so much work from home, remote work, and and of course the employees are demanding for it. And along with that, there's been a lot of advisors in terms of how to implement this. In terms of the the sort of soft aspects, the social aspects, the organizational aspects of getting all of this to work and click together and sort of being able to monitor employees and ensure that they're productive and working and things like that, um, has this been for you to implement this and especially over COVID, has it been sort of a major, I suppose, pivot or sort of fundamental change or has it has it really been quite natural and... It's just more a sort of sense of figure it out as it goes along.
1: Um, I would I would think at the beginning it was kind of, okay, we have to make this move and we've got to be very quick about it and we're going to figure this out as we go along. That being said, uh, if you follow that same approach today, you're going to make a lot of mistakes that are unforced errors um, that we certainly ha- cannot do. Um, so from our perspective, in fact, I recently saw Cisco Systems survey in the Philippines, um, that showed that 92% of Filipinos prefer hybrid work arrangements. Um, and so if you're a leader, um, that doesn't listen to those types of, uh, very compelling data sets and try to adapt, um, to what those needs are, you're going to be left behind for sure. Um, and so we've taken a, We've taken a very strategic approach there to say um, oftentimes listening to employees is the easiest way to address these issues. So, for example, I was I was just discussing this the other day with, with some team members. Um, sometimes people think that things like uh, uh, a camera being always on is a great way to engage people that work remotely. But sometimes you need to ask employees what they want. There may be some that love that and there may be some that would prefer to go do their work and and uh maybe just once a day check in with their supervisor right um and so listening to employees is 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 absolutely important and catering to the needs of different different groups of employees uh, i think is super important anytime you try to create a let's say a policy or a strategy um, some type of engagement approach um, that paints a broad brush that says oh here's a great thing we're going to do for everybody Um, like for example, we're going to do Zumba on zoom and everybody's going to love it. Um, yeah, there's going to be some people that love it, but there's going to be a lot of people that still want that Zumba lesson done in person, you know? And so I think for HR leaders and for business leaders, you're really going to have to start thinking, um, to listen, see the, see what the data tells you and customize based upon those needs. Um, and as long as you're doing that, I think it can be navigated. Uh, as we know in this industry, and many companies can probably tout some of these successes, um, we've been able to navigate it. And uh, most people will say uh, that uh, attrition has actually gone down, and retention has gone up, um, and overall engagement and wellness has also improved. And so from my approach, that's, that's a success, but we just got to keep, keep on it and make sure that we don't become complacent.
0: And do you see any sort of longitudinal concerns or downsides with this experiment of, you know, if if the 20-year-olds of today uh, work from home for the next 20 years and they've they've sort of been brought up in that environment, they're going to be kind of completely different people. Um, it, it's going to be a fascinating experiment that we're not sure the outcome of. Um, do you sort of organizationally, is that is that sort of cool? Is that of concern? Or is it just all part of the journey?
1: Yeah, I think it's part of the journey. Um, I was reading that, uh, you know, a lot of the things that are happening today are things that we're really not sure what the outcome is going to be like, for example, school enrollment, face to face school enrollment, we know that's way down. And it's not just in the Philippines, it's all over the world. Um, And so we have a lot of people which have touched on things like um, home based education, Or um, things like unschooling. And they've gotten a taste to that and they're now exploring with it. And we don't really know. We don't know the impacts that will have, to your point, on society, on uh, norms um, that we've all grown up with. Um, But from my perspective, I'm really optimistic about that. I feel that we always find a way to turn something that could be seen by previous generations as a uh, as a bad thing and turn it into something positive. Um, and there can be some some disruptions along the way. Look at social media. It's a great example. Uh, something so positive that you can stay connected to people and even brands can stay connected to their customers in ways that they never would have imagined before. Yet there's also a downside with things like misinformation and potential misuse and things like uh, illegal use of, of the platforms. What but I think if, it, if you were to ask anybody and ask any of the companies on the S&P 500 what they think of that, uh, and they would say, no, I'd rather deal with those issues and try to fix those issues than to take three steps back and pretend uh, that it never happened. So from my perspective, I'm optimistic about that, and I feel that we will find a way to navigate it, um, and there might it might not be without some disruption, um, but... I feel that uh, good. Lead- this will be a great opportunity for good leaders to stand up and to show how they can set the right culture for the future.
0: Technology, as you say, is, is proven to be a bit of a double-edged sword. And there's some notorious examples out there of, uh, you know, bosses firing people over Zoom um, and, you know, the crying CEO and stuff like this, which are just absolute backfires and lessons in how not to do HR. Um, But it's really tough. And especially when you're managing, you know, as you are so many tens of thousands of people, and you are distributed or remote, and so have to rely on technology. How do you get that balance? Right. And then also, I suppose the more pointed question is, how do you ensure that these things don't backfire on you? Because, you know, everything is now kind of recordable, isn't it? It's, it's, so it's, um, it's really complex to know how to use these powerful technological tools, yeah.
1: Oh, I agree. And I think to- it's unfortunate that sometimes organizations can be judged by their weakest link instead of the sometimes hundreds or thousands of times that things went well. So I always try to take with a bit of a grain of salt when I see things going viral um, because I understand that 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 may not actually fully represent the culture, um, but you're right. I mean, it can have such a huge impact on a brand and even on the team members within the organization to see things that um, that hurt, you know, that don't look good. Like, yeah, sending, um, you know, uh, termination notices via email. Uh, but you're, to your point, there are some, some points where that's going to have to happen. So I always go back to building trust within the team because a team that trusts that their employer is going to try their best to do the best that they can for them and that they won't always do it perfectly, but they're going to try their best to learn from mistakes, get better, and do it together as a team. When you do that, I mean, it may sound cliche, Derek, but it truly is what makes organizations great is when people trust each other. And um, so we constantly talk about building trust. And it's for us on on, on our journey um, with Great Place to Work, for example, that's the core of what Great Place to Work is. It's it's a trust index. Um, and so we listen very carefully to that. And um, again, that that doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. You will. Um, but when you make those mistakes, if your team members trust that, hey, they make a mistake just like I make a mistake, we're going to work together to fix it so it doesn't happen again. Um, and so that is a, may sound like a very HRE answer, <laughs> but from my perspective, it really is what can, can eliminate some of that risk. Because if you go out there and say, I'm scared of technology because it might backfire on me, it can be recorded or whatever. You're going to lose a huge opportunity um, to be able to be far more efficient potentially use tools that people want to use just because you're risk adverse so i'm i'm going back to building that culture where people trust
0: mm, it's more of a it's more of a journey isn't it as opposed to a destination or or a sort of end point it's always evolving uh, and everyone and everything within it has to evolve with it. You're, you're um as you mentioned, great place to work. Uh, you've, you've achieved this certification five years in a row now. Now that's no mean feat for the size of your organization. And again, you know, in the outsourcing industry, what is that great place to work? And, and exactly, you know, what are the, what are the sort of hurdles to ensure that um, you're certified for this?
1: Well, what I really like about Great Place to Work is that it's not an award, it's a certification. So first of all, it starts with a trust index survey where you need to have a good percentage of your employees take an anonymous survey. And that survey is really complex. And it's a it's a global survey that, that uh, has a lot of uh, scientific approach to the way they ask questions. Again, it's built upon trust. It's called the Trust Index. And that that basically um, defines employee sentiment towards you as an organization. And then it's added on where there's an audit where great place to work. will review your HR practices and your operational practices and, and validate that to the responses that they got from employees. I'm really happy that at teleperformance, we had 37,000 of our team members respond to the trust index. That's over 85% at the time of our workforce. Wow. Um, yeah and every year that continues to increase um, and I think that that is basically going back to that trust component. When people take their time to give you feedback, they're, they trust you that you actually take that feedback and do something with it. And so every single year incrementally over the last five years we've always taken those results and we've seen what can we do to improve based upon those results. And that's why every single year we've we've luckily through the trust of our of our team members been able to get certified. Um, only organization in the Philippines has been able to accomplish the definitely the largest and and one that uh, one that we're very very proud of, but uh, also humble enough to know that this is this is a team effort and one that the entire team works together to to show. So while it's not an award, it's a certification and. And uh, it's a journey, but I know that, uh, in fact, next year, uh, Great Place to Work Philippines is launching a best places to work in the IT BPO industry. Um, So that will be very interesting to see uh, how the industry supports this and uh, something that we definitely support because not only is it important for teleperformance to be a great place to work, but we like to see the entire industry elevated, right? And so as we see more organizations achieve that certification, it means our industry is now setting a new bar um, where uh, everyone gets an opportunity to work in a, in a great place to work. And then what we can do within that certification is see how can we, how can we create new benchmarks within us as a, as an industry. And that's what's happening next year with the IDB, ITBPO best employers.
0: Yeah. It's great to see, you know, teleperformance is, is really a beacon for um, a, a great place to work and, you know, people sort of, too easily mistake the Philippines and these emerging economies as kind of um, unsophisticated backwaters, but you know, you have cloud campuses, you are, um, you know, um, championing remote work. You have incredible technology powering all of this. You are a great place to work certified. You know, it's, it's really you are what you are a best in class business globally, you know, and it's all happening here in the Philippines, isn't it? It's incredible to see really, and quite um, counter to a lot of people's assumptions of what's kind of happening in these emerging markets.
1: Yeah, that's why we love when our our clients are able to come visit us either um, through a, you know, high tech remote visit or physically come visit us, um, because then we're able to show that uh, experience um, and be able to uh, th- you're right. A lot of people um, sometimes think of some markets as, as, as maybe stereotypically still on the developing side. Uh, and when they arrive, they're really shocked to see um, the level of sophistication, um, the, the amazing talent that's available. Um, and from all areas of our industry, it's just amazing. I mean, today at Teleperformance, for example, we have a huge chunk of our business, which is on content creation. Uh, where we support things like e-learning and uh, digital um, digital products um, for for our clients, and uh, animation, gamification, and those types of solutions. And many of our clients today um, start off maybe on the voice side, and then they start introducing some of these value-added features and and, and services, and <laughs> they're very surprised that. Not only is that available in the Philippines, but it's some of the best in the entire world. Uh, and, uh, and I could probably name off multiple other ones, of course, as well. But the point is, this industry um, is growing and is sophisticated. And uh, it's why so many people believe um, that the Philippines is still the, the future of this industry.
0: And the future of global employment really isn't it. It really reflects that we're moving into. Do you do you believe that? You know, my vision is that we are just going to be one single global uh, workforce. Do you, do you see that that happening?
1: Yeah. Um, at Teleperformance, we call that cloud campus beyond borders, and it basically means that there will be clients in the future which look at look at a workforce, especially multilingual uh, support. And they won't want to necessarily just go to one country just because they speak a certain language there and they can do it maybe more cost effectively than other countries. Um, They're really going to say, you know, I'm a global brand. I need support for 30 languages. And I also need support for, uh, you know, uh, the IT side and things like knowledge services. Um, And so they're going to look to global providers and they already do in many cases uh, to be able to reduce the complexity of of borders, um, and be able to say, how can I service this client and these customers in a seamless way, sometimes in dozens of countries. And today, we have that already. Uh, We do that today with many of our clients, where we have centralized client services teams um, that internally navigate some of the complexity, because there are Well, I do think the future is a global workforce. There are still a lot of complexities with things like labor laws in certain countries or, you know, ability to attract talent or technology. And there's still the nuts and bolts. You know, how do you procure equipment for these people? How do you make sure that they can get connected? Um, And, and those, those governments and regulations and things will still take time to catch up to that. So while, um. And so it's important for organizations to navigate that, to do it in a way where clients don't feel all that complexity. Um, and behind the scenes, we're doing all that work to navigate it for the client. And at the end of the day, we launch with, you know, 15 languages. And it so happens we're doing it from six different countries, um, from, you know, fully developed countries to emerging markets and, and middle, middle level countries. And, and, uh, we do it all seamlessly without the cu- client or customer even knowing.
0: Yeah. It's incredible, powerful stuff, isn't it? And, uh, it, it's, it just, it speaks to a really exciting future that we have ahead when, uh, all of this, you know, as like you're providing all of this infrastructure for seamless global, uh, interaction, it's pretty, pretty compelling. JJ, thank you so much for your time. And your insights and uh, incredible stories of your journey from 170 people to now 55,000 people. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or know more about Teleperformance, if they don't already, if they're not already aware of the the brand, how can they do that?
1: Thanks, Derek. Um, yeah, of course, you can visit our website, Teleperformance.com. Reach out to me or anybody uh, from our team on LinkedIn. We'd be happy uh, to, to create a, a connection there. And, um, you know, uh, looking forward to seeing that growth.
0: That was Jeffrey Johnson of Teleperformance. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at OutsourceAccelerator.com. See you next time.